Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Cat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 49, How Are We Different? This week, we're discussing season 3, episode 14 of Buffy, Bad Girls, and series 4, episode 6 of Doctor Who, The Doctor's Daughter. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. Okay, so Bad Girls, very exciting title this week. Mm -hmm. Um, And before we get into the episode, um, I believe we have a couple production and behind-the-scenes things that we want to flag. Um, Both... both, the writer being of there being a little bit of a repeated meme with the writer and um and with some of our uh cast having some interesting meetings behind the scenes so yeah since you're the buffy expert why don't you tell us about that and then we'll start talking about the episode yeah well uh, uh, expert i don't know but um anyway uh, yeah so this episode was written by douglas uh petrie or petrie i'm not sure exactly how to pronounce it um who uh, we saw earlier this season in, um, not saw, but but saw the work of earlier this season with uh, Revelations, which uh, introduced a new watcher, uh, although it turned out that she was, in fact, not a watcher, but a former watcher who went rogue, uh, Gwendolyn Post. Um, And uh, we even get a reference to her, uh, which is sort of appropriate because, once again, we have Douglas Petrie writing an episode in which another new watcher is introduced. Mm-hmm. Um, and and uh, so, you know, I don't know how much to take from that. Uh, Douglas Petrie goes on to write throughout the rest of the series. Um, and he may also write for Angel. I don't remember if I um, stated that he did or not before. But, uh, you know, so, I mean, we'll get plenty more episodes and it's not like every time he writes an episode, we get another new watcher or anything. <laughs> but um, but just wanted to sort of point out that that for his first two anyway, we get these two introductions. Um, uh, and so with the introduction of this new watcher is uh, Wesley Wyndham Price, uh, played by Alexis Denisoff, uh, who, of course... Uh, is currently married to Allison Hannigan, who mm-hmm. plays Willow, um, and they met on the set of Buffy, um, presumably in this episode. Uh, right. Although, um, although they don't although share actually, any screen time, do they? Yeah, I was going to say, although actually <laughs> I, I just sort of assumed that, but yeah, they don't share any screen time in this episode. So maybe that's... Um, Maybe that's not quite true, but at least for this episode, I do know that they met on the set of Buffy. Yeah. So if not this episode, then in a subsequent one, uh, which we will get to. But anyway, so um, particularly interesting because they also uh, we're, we're recording this on the night after the How I Met Your Mother finale <gasps> aired. Uh, where, where they were also uh, both... Uh, portrayed Alison Hannigan, obviously, in a, a, you know, cast role there. Um, Alexis Denisoff was more of a guest star in a few episodes. He didn't, he didn't have any significant role in that, but um, yes, anyway, so uh, very interesting sort of uh, uh, connection there that will become more interesting when we talk about Doctor Who later, because this was totally unplanned and 
there's other connections, but yeah. we'll, uh, we'll we'll leave that for then. Yeah, I on, that, on that tantalizing hint. So you have to keep listening because we're not going to talk about it right now. But um, to start talking about the episode, so on the second viewing, um, there's a prominent line from Faith which jumps out. You know that this is, you know, Buffy is reluctant to be the bad girl, and Faith kind of gives her a little lesson. And that it's very simple. Want, take, have. You know, and she mm-hmm. smashes the glass. Whatever you want. You're the slayer. We're the chosen two. You know, we exist on a higher plane of no rules. We, since we battle evil, we can do what we want. And so, if you want it, you take it. And that's it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, that's kind of a, you know, a pretty, like I say, prominent line that give, tells you you know, kind of where Faith's at. But on the second mm-hmm. viewing, I noticed that there were some other characters giving these kind of very uh, staccato three-word, you know, mm-hmm. lessons of how to act. Um, you know, Buffy in the first scene, or I can't remember if it's the very first scene or when it's the, when they go back to the crypt, but when Faith is sort of bulldozing ahead, you know, with no regard for planning or safety, Buffy says, wait, stop, think. And Faith says, right, right. Faith says no, no, no. <laughs> so <laughs> you get a, an idea of their kind of conflicting, uh, I guess, philosophies of slaying there. Um, mm-hmm. And then uh, Wesley, who we meet, uh, gives Buffy uh, the, the three key words that a slayer must remember preparation 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 <laughs> and as buffy points out this isn't exactly three words it's one word three times um and i think that tells you something about wesley that wesley is all preparation and no action or no experience i guess um mm. but i think that's like a little theme throughout the episode is kind of how they approach their mm. how those three characters approach their jobs of battling evil and they have three differing viewpoints um yeah well and yeah i i like that because we get from wesley that he has in fact faced two vampires (laughs) under controlled under under controlled circumstances (laughs) so yeah i mean which clearly if it's a controlled circumstance implies preparation although you sort of contrast that with what's the last time we saw a Watcher-controlled situation. It was Buffy's 18th birthday, sure. you know, with the Cruciamentum. So, you know, even even those can go awry, That's I suppose. True. But true. but we get we get the sense, I think, with Wesley that he's never been in any real danger no. uh, of any kind, and and that it's that yeah. seems pretty obvious. But but no, I I like that because this episode. Um, I mean, it's sort of equally weighted on on both Buffy and Faith, and sort of the the ideals they both have, and and what may be right and what may be wrong, because uh, about each one. Um, yeah. Because I don't think we're meant to see either one as completely right or completely wrong. Right. Um, and and I think, especially in the beginning. Um, and I, yeah, I can't remember which scene it is now where Buffy says, wait, stop, think. But in the beginning, we do get Faith saying to Buffy, you think too much. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Buffy but kind of agrees with her after a little bit, you know. She she does, but, but it's also Buffy thinking too much when she 
you know, realizes that there were swords and that the swords are missing and those swords might be important, which leads to sort of the bigger thing. So, you know, Buffy's not necessarily wrong to wait, stop, think. But at the same time, I mean, Faith's not necessarily wrong to, to just go forward. Now, the want, take, have, you know, maybe that's going a little too far. Um, You know, so it's, so, so I think, I think it's an interesting sort of dualism in this episode of, of what is, you know, finding, you know, where do you find that right balance? And, and we get Buffy sort of pulled away mm-hmm. and, and see her. And, and I guess maybe we're transitioning. So I don't, maybe you had more to say about the three words. So maybe I'll stop. No, no, um, no. Just I moment. just wanted to kind of point that out, but I'm let's go forward with, with Buffy okay. and Faith. Yeah. I, yeah. I was just going to say with Buffy, like we get, after you know she sort of lets loose and and follows faith right down in the manhole and and obviously faith is very manipulative there well i it could be facing you know six vampires to one and i might die if you don't come save me and yeah you know all of that kind of stuff but but we do see that buffy kind of liked it you know it didn't suck Mm -hmm. she says and and that um you know she gets to that point where she wants to share that with with xander and willow and neither of them are really having it um and and so you sort of do see her kind of getting pulled off into that direction of of faith but then of course it goes too far when faith kills a human and they well even before that when they're stealing and you know yeah escaping from police cars and stuff so i mean yeah, it's all sort of about that balancing act. And I and I do think that it's it is um you know I mentioned the 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 birthday episode um that, you know that we talked about and and I do think this is sort of a continuation of that same sort of theme of of growing up and finding what is what does it mean to be sort of an adult and on your own because we get the sense here that Buffy is on her own, even though now she ostensibly has two watchers, <laughs> you yeah. know, the, the sort of the, the disowned watcher who, who, you know, we still know cares for her and it will help her any way he can. But, you know, the, the official watcher who doesn't seem to be competent, mm-hmm. you know, or anything. So, you know, how that plays out or whatever, like this, this it seems to me, you know, again, a, a sort of a, a growth moment, I think, for Buffy to, to sort of find that balance of of what is right and you know she doesn't always make the best decisions in finding that as most of us yeah don't always make the right decisions yeah and, and they kind of, of uh you know they have that conversation in the beginning about they're starting to get their college acceptance letters you know so they mm-hmm. have like Willow's getting all these Ivy League and premier schools and Xander's worried about not having much of any options after he graduates and everything. So it's kind of framed as one of these stories of starting to think about adulthood and what comes next and everything. And yeah. And what kind of, uh, what, what kind of authority and responsibility does Buffy have? You know, and we've had this question before, like Cordy, saying shouldn't the rules shouldn't there be different rules for Buffy you know 
And um, yeah, that's right. You know, and yeah, and, that was way back in season one. Yeah, wasn't it? a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. Um, but and that's but a, yeah, no, you're right. And that's been an ep- that's been a question for a long time. But I think it becomes even more so once they get out of high school because you don't have the same sort of uh, reliance on your parental authority that you did. You know, you're starting to transition into you know adulthood. Um, so. Right you know, to go through this kind of little period of testing her boundaries and testing her limits and, you know, seeing how it plays out to actually live as though you, the rules don't apply to you, you know, Mm -hmm. um, seems like, you know, that is kind of a natural growth thing. I mean, it's more dangerous for Buffy as the slayer and everything, but that seems like a kind of thing that an 18-year-old would be going through right before they go off to college is starting to think about living without rules and boundaries. And um, mm-hmm. so, you know, and, and you have Faith there who's sort of out of high school, not interested in those things to begin with. So she kind of pulls Buffy more in that direction. And yeah. I think you're right, like, it's not all black and white because I think you are kind of, you you do feel kind of jazzed when when Buffy has that kind of near death experience, you know, and and she almost I, she almost gets drowned again, and um and then comes back and you know kicks their butts and you know takes names and everything and gets the amulet, and you mm-hmm. know that moment of like Faith saying like I think she says like tell me you don't love this and she says it doesn't it didn't suck, and. You, you do feel kind of like, yeah, like in that moment, like you're kind of like, you enjoy the fact that she enjoyed being, you know, right. being it wasn't reactionary. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't, it, well, even that and, and the, you know, when they like um, go into the nest in broad daylight, you yeah. know, and stuff, it, it's like, you're not waiting till nighttime and patrolling and then waiting to be attacked. Yeah. You're actively going after the problem. And, and seeing that's, her with that confidence is I think an empowering thing, you know, and it's, it's a gradual, you know, well, it's not that gradual, but you know, it's, you know, there are, you are allowed those moments of kind of rooting for her in that before the dangers of that start to show themselves before you realize, Mm -hmm. you know, there is such a thing as, you know, too thoughtless and too reckless and too unconcerned with, your own, you know, boundaries or the, or the, you know, the safety of other people. Like when it, when it becomes breaking and entering or endangering lives, you know, mm-hmm. you know, then it becomes something slightly different. Right. But you do get those couple scenes of kind of enjoying her own liberation and, you know, the fact that she's enjoying being the Slayer and, yeah. you know. Well, and it, it, it goes from, you know, okay, you're a slayer, and part of that is to protect people yeah. and society, sort of in general, as a as a sort of platonic ideal, I guess, if you want to look at it that way. But you know, just in 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 general, like that's that's what the slayer does. You know, to stand against the demons and the vampires, and you know, protect people and all of those. So if if suddenly you're not adhering to society and 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 the things that 
you know, the boundaries that people have set as these are good boundaries, you know, for us as people, then are you a protector anymore? Right. Like, you know, like, like how much back to Joyce's questioning of throwing in the slayers with the other monsters, you know, if you're out there causing havoc, you know, you're the one breaking into a store to steal weapons or getting arrested and then, you know, beating up the cops or whatever. What makes you different than the vampires or the monsters that you're supposedly out right. there fighting? You know, that line well, and, does and, become blurred. And we even get that, um, you know, question that the cop asks, you know, oh, are you guys part of, you know, one of them girl gangs? Yeah. And and Faith sort of accepts mm-hmm. it, you know, oh, yes, we're we're the slayers. And, and, and you look at that and you say, well... Okay, you know, the cops haven't exact. I mean, we've seen Buffy interact with cops before. She's been shot at and, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, accused of murder and, and all these, you know, sorts of things. But they, you still get the sense that even sort of in their incompetence and stuff, they're not, they're not actively malicious. No, you know, no, that, they're that, still, they're you, people, they're, yeah. You know, so, so like... You have to sort of wonder at this point, you know, is Faith by setting herself against that, you know, is she, you know, is she sort of eschewing any kind of, uh, you know, again, society? I don't I don't like that word because, I mean, it, it really comes down to individuals. But I think, you know, I think in this instance, you, you do get that sense of like Faith, you know, sort of saying, yeah, you know what, I can I can do whatever I want and other people whether they're collective or individual or whatever, don't really, yeah. don't really matter. Yeah. Um, as long as it's what I think, not even what I think is right. It's just what I want. You know, yeah, it's, right it's that sort of really selfish motive it. because, yeah. because it is for her sort of all about the high, yeah. you know, uh, it doesn't seem to be about the protection or, you know, or the loftier sort of goals that, that Buffy does have when she does take a moment to stop and think. Now, you know, I don't, we know Buffy isn't always exactly the scholar, you know, yeah. or whatever all the time, but she's not stupid. No. We, I mean, we've seen that and, and, you know, she does again, like pick out that there were swords and she, and when she thinks back, she does remember, yes, you know, one of them was long and one short and oh, that's important by the way, you know, like faith. Yeah. And I no, don't she's think... just going around looking for things to kill. Yeah, and I don't even take think as a as necessarily an intellectual imperative in the same way. Like it, I don't think, I don't see it as that means that Buffy is the one to go do research in the library. I think to me sounds more like like a common sense kind of thing. It means right. It means think through your actions. Think before. Take think, a deep breath. You know, think before yeah. you leap. You know, it doesn't necessarily. Yeah. It doesn't even necessarily have to be particularly scholarly or or intellectual. Just, you know, that kind of... Yeah. Before you just randomly stab out at the first thing you see, maybe mm-hmm. put some common sense into it. Which seems to right. be... Buffy, to me, is a figure of common sense. You know, she's not yeah. particularly intellectual, but she is thoughtful, you know, and she... Mm-hmm does have no i think that's a good distinction yeah yeah and and whereas faith is the instinct you know the animal the the primal um which is maybe why her and xander got along so well (laughs) yeah (laughs) 
Um, um, and you know that uh, that line. To, I mean, because not only is Buffy thoughtful, but as the heart, Buffy is also like the one who cares <laughs> about people and about you know the situation. So to have her say. You know, I just let go, became this force. It was like I didn't care anymore. You know, that's mm. a pretty, you know, bold statement for Buffy, which is then, you know, what she kind of takes, again, as like a freedom, a liberation. Like, I didn't have to worry about, you know, yeah. the the ethics of slaying. I just let myself be what I am, you know, and kind of embraced it. And it wasn't it freeing and all the, like, she's taking it as this sort of, like, you know statement of having reached this epiphany about slaying or something but then of course that's sort of echoed at the end in an ugly way by faith you know that buffy uh you know calls her out like not even calls her out she kind of is trying to tell faith to use your common sense like you know what you did you killed a person you can't just forget that um and it's not going to go away and Faith responds, I don't care. Like, it's not that I don't understand it. It's that I literally don't care. Um, mm -hmm. You know, now, whether we... We can maybe talk about whether we believe Faith. But her... The statement which she's making is one of not caring. Of, you know, not... Like you said, like... Choosing to be the slayer and be one of the... The monsters, really. Rather than caring about the cops that she endangers, like, and not because they're cops, but because they're innocent people, you know, that she is putting in danger and everything. So, right. um, that's kind of in the end, maybe the big difference between the two and, you know, and Faith's not caring. Maybe I think to me seems a little, she maybe cares more than she lets on, but certainly the, the decision she's making is to actively try not to care. You know, that for her own reasons, caring is... Right. Maybe she's, because of the losses she's had. You know, maybe caring is too painful because when you lose things, that's difficult. So what she's decided is that she's just a killing machine. She's in it for the satisfaction of the moment and consequences be damned kind of a thing, you know. Mm. yeah well and as opposed to Buffy who is defined by her caring you know yeah so okay so with with regard to faith I guess, I guess my first question to you would be what do you think do you think she does or does not care I think she does um because of the um scrubbing out of the stains in her shirt afterwards you know you get yeah. that kind of it makes me think of Macbeth. <laughs> like, yeah, Lady Macbeth. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. The, there's something about it which... I And that would not surprise me if that's an explicit, you know, reference. Right, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, so that to me is like the giveaway. You know, that there's, there's, there's a stain which she can't get rid of, but she's trying to. And she's trying to rub it out and... Um, pretend like it's not there but i think the yeah. choice she's actively making is to is the choice she's been making all along which is not to share that with buffy not to process that feeling in a healthy way but to repress and 
deny it mm -hmm. and you know the, right. the actively less, deny the it to Buffy you care, in an attempt the more to... protected you are when things yeah. go wrong and everything so yeah, yeah, yeah. um yeah, no, I think that's right. Well, and there's also the fact that she goes back to fight um, for the body. Now, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, now, now we, and not you know, we learn to, that not just back to hide the body, but takes a moment to sort of linger over it, and you know, yeah, she seems no, to that, have yeah, kind that's of a moment of say. reflection. Right, right. We learn, we see that she goes back and sort of, you know, touches his wound and and you know where she stabbed him and and. You know, it's not till later that we learn that she took the body and dumped it somewhere. But, yeah, like, there was there was more than it was more than just pragmatic, you know, sort of cold calculation in her going back there. It, I it, think so, she yeah. was drawn back, it seems. Um, yeah. You know, that's what we're that's what we're meant to take from that. Um, so, yeah. So, I mean, she's definitely doing. She's definitely putting an effort to try to deceive Buffy into, you know, thinking that she doesn't care. Or or at least convince maybe deceive isn't exactly the right way to say that. But I don't know. It does seem like she's trying to deceive herself a little bit there, too, yeah. because or convince herself a little bit, too, um, you know, in, in saying that out loud. Anyway, that's that's I think we both get that same sense. Yeah. <laughs> um, it is disturbing though. Like it's, it's like, you know, she has that kind of little smile at the end. Like, you know, like, uh, yeah. like, like it's even funny that it would occur to Buffy that this is a problem, you know, like, I mean, it, it, yeah. there's something kind of, uh, you know, maybe willfully so, but a little bit like unhinged about it, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, like that it's, it, she doesn't care so much that like, it's even a little bit amusing, you know, it's kind of cute that Buffy thinks it's a big deal, you know, but I don't think so. That kind of a thing. Yeah. Um, but I think we do by the end of the episode there get the sense that Buffy has sort of pulled back at least away from yeah. the path that faith was leading her down. So it, you know, uh, you know, we'll have to, obviously we'll have to see how it all plays out. Um, you know, the story continues, but, but I think at this point, by the end of the episode, we we're back to, you know, the, the, the wait, stop, think mm -hmm. <laughs> Buffy. Right. Buffy um, kind of goes full circle and it sort of, yeah. it sort of ends on her sort of shocked silence. Like, she kind of leaves Buffy speechless in the episode. Like, that kind of that... After all the sort of living it up of the rest of the episode, it's just a moment of, like... You kind of thought you were starting to see more similarities between the two. They were kind of coming closer together. And then by the end, they couldn't be more far apart in terms of... Like, there's just that moment of... Buffy almost seeing Faith for the first time a little bit, you know, like mm -hmm. that it's so foreign to her that that she could do this and not uh, show concern about it and everything. So, sure, sure. Um, so, uh, talking about the thing that she doesn't care about, yes. the fact that she killed Alan, a human, yeah, yeah. Uh, Alan, Alan, yes, the 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 deputy mayor, uh, yes. 
or the mayor's deputy. I don't, I'm not sure what the exact correct title is. Assistant, but, uh, assistant to the mayor or assistant mayor. <laughs> right. Um, so we, we learn a few things. We learn he likes to read Kathy. Yes. Uh, <laughs> that's yeah. an interesting choice yeah. for, for him, but, uh, sure. Okay. That's fine. Um, he's, he, you know, we've only seen, seen him a, a few times, but he always has this very nervous persona right. around the mayor that, that he, um, doesn't seem to come up with the best ideas or, or have the, the best demeanor. He seems very afraid, yeah. uh, whenever he's around or nervous, at least when he's around the mayor what uh what's your take on on why he was in that alley to begin with i'm sorry on why what on on why he was there what was he doing i don't know that i have a take but that thought occurred to me like Mm -hmm. it, it it i don't know that i have a particular theory but as i was watching it i was thinking what is he doing in this back alley, like in the middle of the night, you know, and we kind of get hints about this past relationship with, with Balthazar and the mayor, you know, they kind of, we can talk about that later. They kind of allude to the fact that they have this rivalry. So I, if I have a theory, I imagine that, that Alan was sort of sent to go maybe do some reconnaissance, you know, like kind of, or checking out what kind of, the Illuminati are up to, what kind of demon activity is going on. That was sort of my, I'm not quite sure if that's what you were asked. That was, that was what occurred to me as I was watching it was, it was kind of strange that he was just there. Like, <laughs> Yeah. Well, and that's exactly it is. I don't know that I know okay. either. Like I, you know, as many times as I've seen this and, okay. and whatever. Um, now maybe, Maybe I'm just forgetting, you know, a, a small piece that explains it. So, you know, it's possible we could get an answer at some other point. Yeah. Um, but I don't. Yeah. And I, I was trying to think, like, why? Why is he there at that time or whatever? Yeah. But I think, you know, the other thing is, you know, why does there necessarily have to be a reason? It could have just been a random thing. Right. Um, doesn't necessarily seem like it would be totally random given his proximity to the mayor. And like you said, there seems to be, you know, awareness at least yeah, if, if yeah. not, a, if not a full fledged rivalry, um, you know, between the mayor and Balthazar. So, so it is sort of interesting. What's he doing there? I don't know. I don't have an answer. I was right. just curious if you, if you had a thought there. Um, yeah, no, that, that was my only thought, but, um, but but the uh, the sort of the touching moment is when the mayor misses him uh, later. Mm-hmm. So you know uh, after the whole thing with Balthazar and and, and all of that, uh, and he dies and gives his. We can talk about that in a minute. But um, we get the mayor, you know, doing his dedication, and he's kind of perturbed that Alan isn't there. He's yeah. not like him to not be punctual, you know, and and. It gives him a moment of, you know, stop, think, yeah. you know, and, yeah. and, and of course he continues with what he's doing, but he notices that something's off and that's, yeah. that's an interesting sort of, uh, reaction. It seems to me just based on the fact that Alan is so nervous around him, yeah. you know what I mean? Like that, that 
like you don't get this sense of there being a lot of love lost between them but but you almost do sort of get like i don't know like he 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 has some kind of affection for him whatever that may be yeah. uh the mayor does um for alan i i mean so um i don't know i just it, it's an interesting sort of thing there because again given given the sort of awkwardness and 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 he is sort of always sort of chiding alan you know oh make sure you clean under your fingernails and oh you know <laughs> i don't think that idea is a particularly good one yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know or whatever um so yeah i don't know yeah i don't, well, I don't know if is, we want to make too much of that but it is kind of interesting that you know faith stakes a mortal yes but he's kind of on the bad guy side from what we know i mean but alan is so has been all along set up as like the the i mean we don't know anything about him so we can't really say how willing a assistant of the mayor he is and all but but what we do know about him is that he's sort of meek and you know kind of shaking in his boots and a little bit dorky and getting you know put down and so you you do kind of like him you know even though it's like technically he's one of the villains i suppose you don't really think of him like that so you do think Mm -hmm. of him as this innocent victim that gets staked you know uh like it, it could be kind of a weird thing to have the person that faith kills be one of the bad guys but i don't know that you can really think of alan as one of the bad guys no, you and, know <laughs> and and i was saying i was i mean you know and maybe sort of the fact that he's deputy mayor or whatever is is kind of the perfect thing right he's that mid-level bureaucrat who just right. maybe he wants to do good but you know sort of taking it to a more metaphorical level yeah. yeah like like yeah there's you know government is corrupt at the highest levels and you know, the people under them, as much good as they might want to do, are sort of bound by, you know, that corruption yeah. and, and that, you know, power that that they can't really do anything about. So, you know, maybe he went into the job with all full good intentions and and now he just he knows his boss is powerful and evil and whatever. And, and so he's just trying to do as best as he can. And I don't yeah. know. I mean, we yeah. don't have anything to support that. Maybe totally supports the mayor too i don't you know we we don't have much evidence to support one way or the other but but i think you're right i think the sense is that he's certainly not evil in the way the mayor is evil or that trick even is evil you know he's he he's not he's an average person who's maybe right either landed himself in a in a or, or I would say even Snyder, because Snyder seems, right. you know, we haven't seen him in a while, but he knows what's going on yeah. and seems to be okay with it. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, like Alan, I'm not even sure we know enough about to make that much of a, a, a determination. He very easily could have just, you know, he, maybe he went to college for political science and, you know, this is his sort of first job and man what a doozy yeah you know who would have thought in the little town of sunnydale that it would be so bad you know and yeah now here he is yeah so no like even though he's even though he and trick are both working for the mayor you don't feel when alan gets staked the same way as you would feel if trick got staked and that's not just because trick's a vampire like that has to do with their how they act you know you don't 
you you feel sympathy for Alan in a way that some of the other, you know, people on the same side as him, you wouldn't necessarily feel that kind of sympathy for. Like, I think yeah. it's meant to be, you know, a, because Alan is sort of, you know, uh, sort of harmless seeming, you know, it makes the impact more when he gets, when he gets killed, even though we know he's, you know, assisting, you know, one of the bad guys. So it's just kind of an interesting, yeah. unexpected dynamic, I think. He, yeah. he, he works, he walks a weird line between good and evil, you know, of just this regular guy who's not really one yeah. or the other, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and, and so the only other thing that I'll point out sort of along the same lines is, um, and, and I don't know if this ever comes up in the narrative or if, if we see it anywhere, uh, his last name is Finch, Alan Finch. So, um, just thinking about that Finch, small songbird, you know, not, not, a not a threat in any yeah. way. It's not, you know, an eagle or a hawk or, right, you know, something right. that's that's going around killing things and, and doing whatever. It's, it's you know, if anything, it's just sort of harmless and possibly even prey for other larger things. So, um, yeah. you, you know, again, you know, I, I don't necessarily want to read too much into that name, but we've talked about um, other sort of, names that have meaning in the series so far. So um, I wouldn't be totally surprised if, if, if the last name there didn't sort of imply just kind of what we're talking about, that he's kind of a mostly harmless guy in a, in a sort of bad situation. Yeah. Um, anyway, moving on, um, maybe, uh, maybe we should talk about the mayor himself while we're kind of kind of at it or or did you have well um, we kind of skipped over wesley and giles but we can keep we can come back to them later if we'd rather keep talking about the well i just thought since we sort yeah. of were covering him already maybe okay. maybe let's just finish yeah um finish out there so so what uh what did you have to say about the mayor we we learned yeah, some well, interesting stuff yeah i mean we're getting so beyond the family circus oh, yeah. uh connection likes the family circus um and has disdain for Kathy, apparently. Um, but, uh, <laughs> so we don't learn much about, we still don't know too much about what it is that he's doing, but we at least get some labels to put onto it. So, you know, this is the dedication, which is a very important step before his final ascension. So when he'll ascend to a higher plane, whatever that means. So, um, you know, interesting, you know, we still don't, quite know exactly i presume it's not good you know whatever it is um and certainly seems to be evil certainly seems to be evil and um, um so he's hoping that the slayers will kind of continue to get evil out of the way for him and maybe get themselves killed at, while they're at it you know just the less the less activity you know on the slayer front the better um, yeah, I I like that really sort of Machiavellian yeah. take that he has on it. Is like yeah, maybe maybe my no, enemies there, will cancel each other out, kind of thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's not like because there are times when you get the sort of sense of you know it's Buffy against all the evils, but 
you know what? The evils fight each other too. And he's, right. he's sort of acknowledging this, that, um, you know, and we saw sort of a glimpse of it when Spike came back too. you know, uh, he says, right. well, you know, last year we kind of were able to put up with the shenanigans, but this year there's something more important. Something more important seems to be this ascension thing right. that we are learning about. So so now we're we're getting the same sort of thing here. It's like, oh, there's there's these ruffians about and we need to have them taken care of. But let's do it obliquely. Let's. Let's feed the information, you know, to Buffy and her team so that we can go about doing that. And and I think we should watch for that, like, just generally throughout the series and, and even when we're watching Angel and stuff. Because, you know, I think that's an interesting thing to realize that it's not always just, you know, the good guys versus the bad guys kind of thing. Like, there is – there are – different configurations yeah. <laughs> um and maybe we even saw that a little bit with with buffy and and um when spike sort of made his proposal and about you know them teaming up you know we right. we saw that spike and angelus were not on the same page exactly so yeah you know maybe that's not even a huge surprise at this point but just you know sort of keep that in the back of the mind that that there are myriad forces uh you know pursuing different goals <laughs> uh, yeah. so to speak um yeah yeah and that anyway um and that you know he's not he he's not necessarily like the master who has this demon support who want him to be demon ruler of the universe it's like he might have people who would want to stop his ascension so it's actually good to have the slayers around because they can kind of get rid of them, you know, but mm. if they get killed, nah, I didn't really want them anyway. So everybody like he wins either way. You know, I think he says yeah. that at one point, I forget if it's this episode or another, like kind of no matter what happens, he comes out on top. Um, right. Like he's like by everybody. I mean me, you know, like I'm going to win no matter what. Um, mm-hmm. And that's a very political way to look at it um but i like that his he he so he very frank underwood sort of view i know um so he he has a checklist of things to do and he gets to check becoming invincible off his checklist and he still has like a pta meeting and a haircut or whatever but um uh so that's the other thing that we learn is this, I guess this dedication ritual is what makes him invincible. And I think he says for a hundred days and, yes. and, and I guess at at the close of the hundred days, he will ascend and be truly invincible. I would imagine. Um, mm-hmm. and he, and he tests it on the vampire that he has locked up who splits his head in half. And then he kind of seems back together. No problem. So he's magically protected at this point, which is not good. Um, so that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. The hundred, so the hundred days thing. I don't, I don't know if it works out. So this uh, episode aired on February ninth, nineteen ninety nine, and I would have to count to to see if the finale falls. A hundred days right. or not, I'm but, to work but out it would like the be the remainder of the school year. <laughs> so, so February, March, April, May, 
you know, would be 90, 90 days, days and then another 10 days or so. I think it, it actually right. does work out to be 100 days yeah. um, to when the first part of the season finale uh, airs yeah. on May 18th. Okay. So I would have to... I would have to look at that a little closer just to see if the the dates work out, but but clo- pretty, close. pretty close. So it's kind yeah. of kind of interesting that that so, uh, so we have that may now be the, case. the the thrust of the season that I imagine that I, we're going to culminate mean, with the ascension at when. I don't think know. that's a huge spoiler yeah, to say yeah. that. Yes, this is shaping up to be, you know, we. This is where we're headed. We've had yeah. other apocalypses, apocalypse. Yeah. I don't know. So you know that that they've had to stop so like this this seems to be at least at this point the uh you know the sort of like like the first one we had the harvest and then you know the the hell mouth opening that um we had in the first season and then the second season we had a kafla that had to be stopped yeah and so now now we're starting to see that maybe maybe this ascension uh thing will be more Mm -hmm. um more of a focus for the rest of the, you know, the last third or so of the season. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, and I guess the only other thing on that note, which is one of the only things I have to say about Balthazar, you know, as a character is this implied relationship between the two that he seems to be one of these enemies that the mayor doesn't want interfering because Balthazar makes a, comment about it's been a hundred years since my enemy crippled me and he keeps talking about his enemy and you get the sense that he's talking about the mayor because at the end he Mm. has his little prophecy to Buffy about you think you've won when he rises you'll wish I killed you all so and he sort of stresses the he right when he rises like there's a rising you know as in ascending you know so yeah um so I guess that means so what does that mean? So that means if he's the enemy that he's talking about, that means the mayor's been around for a hundred years, which is interesting. You know that. Mm. You know mm. uh, that. You know maybe that implies that he's not just a mortal man himself originally. You know I don't know maybe. So interesting. So maybe. we're getting some hints of a backstory yeah. anyway. Um. No, that's an interesting. That's a subtle point to pick up on. Uh, interesting. So the the and and the second half of that right is when he rises. You'll wish I'd killed you all. Yeah. So how bad is it how going to be, be to yeah. have yeah. wished that you were dead at the hands of this well, not, absorbable and off not, like not demon? Not even yourself, but everybody. Like yeah, you know, like like you'll wish I'd killed. All your loved ones, too, because that's how bad yeah. it's going to be. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be pretty stinking bad. Right. Um, yeah, I'm not a big fan of Balthazar as, like, a, a demon. No. Um, I'm glad he, in one episode, and, like, not even much, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, I, I, I said to you last week, uh, before you watched it, that, that this was sort of the absorbaloff yeah. of, of, uh, of Buffy. You yeah. know, of Buffy. Yeah, so. it kind of reminded me of... A cross between the Absorbaloff and Cassandra, <laughs> with the moist, yeah, with the moistening, yeah. but like yeah, all yeah. oh, right, right. I didn't even pick up on that. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, yeah. I think I like Cassandra better. <laughs> you know what I mean? As as a as a as a villain, sort of yeah. bad guy. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. No, he's not. He's not great. I'm 
not really sorry to see him go either. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I think that's fine. He just, served his purpose. Just a lesson, lesson to these shows. These big fat monsters are not well conceived. Stay away from them. Uh, yeah, they don't really work very um, well. But okay. So in the last sort of twelve or thirteen minutes here, we've got to talk about the new Watchers. We do. Um, and and any of the other characters we want to bring up. Um, so, <laughs> what do you what do you think? So you okay? You've seen now Alexis Denisov uh, mm-hmm. has been in a number of Whedon productions, um, but you've only seen him in Much Ado, right? You haven't seen uh, well. Obviously, you haven't seen the rest of Buffy, and and right. he also appears in Angel. So. Right. Um, I know you haven't seen those. Uh, he's also in Dollhouse. Which I have not seen. Which you've not seen. Okay. No. Um, so, your introduction to him in, in this uh, format, w- what are your thoughts as we see um, well, Wesley Wyndham Price? <laughs> Wesley Wyndham was the, the most English name ever. I like it. Um, well with the only other contender being Rupert Giles. But um, I I don't think this is just because I'm trying to separate, like, you know, my conception of the actor from the character. Like, I've seen him in Much Ado About Nothing. He was good in that. You know, I know he, uh, you know, I know this story of him being married to Alexis, or married to Allison Hannigan. So I'm trying not to just like him because of those things but I do like him better than Gwendolyn Post so I'm glad that of the two he's the one that's gonna stick <laughs> I'll put it that way <laughs> um I mean he is kind of assuming he does assuming stick. he does stick um well he's an angel we're gonna see him again eventually but um at least for a while you know or at least occasionally we'll get to see him and um I do like him you know like I think He's the right mix of sort of bumbling and incompetent, but also kind of likable. You know, like, he he hits that balance right of kind of being a little bit, being a little bit uh, clueless. And you can kind of see why he's annoying to Buffy, but also kind of charming in an ineffectual sort of way. You know, like, Mm. I think he hits that that balance pretty well um so yeah i like it i'm 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 glad that he's you know i mean i don't want giles to leave you know i'm 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 gonna put my money down that you know uh he doesn't replace giles as watcher you know that somehow he finds a role in which they can both coexist in this little group um okay so you know, I don't think he's a step up from Giles in any sense, but he's seems like an interesting character. So um, I think I think I like him, and um, I guess in terms of like the character, I I mean the line about the preparation just is so perfect because you know he is all preparation <laughs> and nothing else, um, mm-hmm. and you know he also has the line about the, there's a he's trying to you know, show Giles how much he, uh, how much he, he knows how better how his much he's preparation and education <laughs> is now that, yeah. that, than it was when Giles was new. And 
he says there's a greater emphasis on field work now and it's like that's exactly what he doesn't have is field right. work experience right. you know like he right. has no practical like he's all theory he's mm -hmm. read all the books he's done his controlled experiments but the last thing he has is field experience yeah so yeah. um you know, which well, and becomes we, and we see pretty him. clear the moment they get captured and, right. like, he's selling them all out, you know, for his kneecaps <laughs> and everything. It's like, yeah. Um, he has a, yeah, he has he's a bit not of only har to do. He's not only harmless. Uh, harmless. He, uh, like, he, he's not, I, I, he's not, uh, I guess, how do I put this? Not only is he not a threat to, like, the demons, but he's actively a threat to... The people yeah. fighting them, like like you yeah, know, getting in the way yeah. and 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 you know needing to be rescued mm -hmm. and and those sorts of things and yeah and ready to give up at a moment's notice yeah. you know the people who are his allies yeah. so yeah yeah clearly so he needs he's this I presume he's going to go on a bit of a steep learning curve here with this crew which is yeah you know all about experience and being in tight situations and having to sort of think your way out of it you know that yeah. that his his watcher preparation is only going to go so far and he's going to have to if he's going to mm. make it with the scoobies you know he's going to have to learn to toughen up a bit um but uh yeah no i mean i don't think it, it's i like the line too about is he evil the last one was evil um, he seems to yes. not be evil. He seems to be, <laughs> you know, on 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 well intentioned, if nothing else. So yeah, you know. Um, and 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 I Giles's response is perfect to that. Not he says not sense. not in the strictest sense. <laughs> like, not <laughs> so, not how you mean it, but you he, know. He doesn't mean to be evil. Mm -hmm. Kind of like Alan. He doesn't necessarily mean to be evil. Yeah. He just you know. He's just accidentally no. you know. Um, no, I think yeah. I think you're right. I mean, I think intentions being what they are, which we all know are pretty not does you know it doesn't matter necessarily <laughs> what your intentions yeah. are. Um, attention intentions aside, uh, you know he doesn't seem to be malicious or anything. But yeah, I clearly that's the thing. Although at the same time, um, and this fits right into our our episode theme of how are we different? Yeah. We get that moment of him rubbing his glasses and Giles yeah. doing the same thing. Yeah. So they are of similar stuff. Well, and and, if, and you know that you know that Giles must have been something like Wesley when he was first getting started. You know, like it's just a matter of experience. You know that Giles wasn't born with the kind of bravery and and know-how that he has now that this comes from like years of being on the front line you know so you you could imagine like you said like they're not so different and given some time wesley could get there too he's just you know this is his first his first actual field work experience you know of not just being yeah. in in watcher academy or whatever they do you know like wherever it is that they learn right. what they learn you know that that right. you know maybe maybe this is the opportunity for him to learn to be a little bit more like Giles and get some experience and everything so hopefully he's you know he spent a lot of time this episode lecturing Buffy so hopefully 
he's uh, willing to see that he might have some learning himself to do. You know, that maybe yeah. Buffy knows a few things that he doesn't. Um, mm -hmm. You know, that she's the one, you know, again with her common sense, knowing things like don't keep the valuable artifact in your jacket. Like, you know, this is the kind of stuff they don't teach you, that you have to just learn. So, yeah, I, yeah. I imagine that that's we're going to see him sort of picking up on things like that. So um, that'll be interesting to see. Um, I like, so just mentioned Giles's response uh, about the evil comment. Mm -hmm. um, just overall, it's kind of interesting to see Giles in his more impetuous I like side. It. I like it. Yeah, I like um, willfully unhelpful Giles is amazing. Yeah. Oh, I feel just sick about yeah, it. Yeah. Um, yeah, and 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 you get that sense of, and like the, you know, oh, we'll talk later, and and you know he's, yeah, he's not there to listen to Wesley. You know, he's already been ostracized by the council, and and yeah. you know, that's that is what it is. But um, yeah, he's not going to go down quietly. He's going to make things as annoying for them as possible for the watchers yeah you know? or or at least not provide any direct help um yeah yeah i don't think he would go out of his way to annoy wesley but i think you're getting the sense that he's certainly not gonna take any guff no uh you know from him so uh yeah no i think i think it's a i i like sort of the side of giles especially since you do get that yeah, that sense that Wesley needs to be knocked down a peg or two, um, or at least given some opportunities to, uh, yeah, yeah, to, to, to roughen up a little bit. Yeah. Um, other than, I guess the only other thing about Giles that I would say too, is just sort of interesting his, um, you know, desire to sort of defend Buffy from his own words that that Wesley reads out of the journal, you know. Well, I was just going to say again, that's another clue that they're not so different because Giles when he first met Buffy had a similar reaction to her that that Wesley does, you know, and that yeah. they've developed that relationship. So again, it's another similarity between the two watchers, I yeah. think. Yeah. Um, and, and you talked about like years on, on the front lines or whatever with Giles and yes, that's true, but it's only been like two years. Well, We're not talking yeah, like, no, I mean you that, know, 10 years. I mean as that a, in no, a literal sense, like barely two years. Yeah. 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 Well, and I don't, I mean, I think you're right in, in that two years has been a lot has happened. So, I mean, he, you know, I mean, we've seen Giles get tortured by Angelus, so it's not yeah. like you know, Wesley's there afraid for his kneecaps. It, we've seen that Giles has gone through that, but it's, yeah, like there's definitely been changes in Giles's personality and, and his relation to Buffy and, and just his general sense of what needs to happen, um, you know, yeah. in this sort of fight against evil. So I, I, I think you're, I think you're right about all that, but, but it, I guess I just want to point it out that like, Giles was a newbie as little as right. two seasons ago. Like this is, right. this is pretty, you know, still fairly new to him. So just, you know, yeah. Well, in keep, season, keep that in season mind, one, I guess. Giles was much closer to Wesley than he is now, you know, in terms of 
his personality and everything, you know. He's mm -hmm. come pretty far pretty quickly, so. Cool. Well, um, so we saw the bad girls yes. this week. Next week we will see the consequences, literally, because that's what the episode is named. Yes. Consequences. So, um, uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll have to wait. And it's not like a two-parter or anything. I mean, but you know, it, it there are. It's set up that way on purpose. That you know, I mean, we're we're pretty yeah. clearly following on from the story of of the things that happen in Bad Girls and sort of the yeah. the things that we learn here. So, yeah. Um, Anyway, any any other final thoughts about um, the episode? I or? have one thing to say about Willow. Okay. Um, I thought that was an intriguing line from her about when Buffy is talking about letting go and not caring and this rush of power and all these things. And Willow starts to say, oh, I know what that's like. And Buffy totally stamps on the line and says oh no uh, you don't it's a slayer thing you don't know and it's like how does willow know that like so i can imagine that has something to do with the with the witchcraft that she's practicing and you know i don't know but it was intriguing i don't think of willow as someone who has this rush of power and of you know like like a force of nature that buffy's describing and i thought that was just a that line sort of jumped out to me and, and Buffy's kind of dismissal of it seemed mm. interesting. So I just wanted to, wanted to make, make sure I mentioned that. Okay. Cool. Well, alrighty then. Okay. We, uh, we will have to move now into Dr. Who. Okay. Where we're going to talk about not Buffy, but a Buffy-like character. Yes. <laughs> uh, in 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 Jenny, um, and and actually, it's I I guess you were saying it's sort of explicit. There's a reference in the commentary or or something. Yeah, um, I, I I think in I forget where exactly, but I I heard Russell Davies explicitly compare Jenny to Buffy, specifically when she's doing the backflip section. Um, through the lasers yeah, and stuff. But, yeah, but I think, so I think her kind of, uh, kind of, I guess, martial artsy kind of skills. And also I think that coupled with the way she looks, you know, the, the, the blonde right. hair and, you know, she, she kind of physically resembles Buffy as well. So when mm -hmm. you kind of put those things together, um, it seems like a pretty explicit reference, I think. And, and it's it is because Russell mentioned it, so it's like you can't get more explicit than that. But <laughs> yeah, when the showrunner when the showrunner says, says it, there's a resemblance it, to Buffy, you kind of believe it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and and we sort of stumbled across another connection though mm. in in recognizing that there's a resemblance to Buffy in Jenny. Um, one of the one of the artist for Buffy season eight, mm -hmm. which, um, was a comic. So after the seven seasons that aired, yeah. uh, on TV, they, it can, the story continued in comic form, um, said that, uh, there was a particular episode of, of the graphic novel, which, uh, they modeled Buffy's clothing after Jenny. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so you kind of get this, 
uh, recursive loop of, you know, one story influencing the other. Um, yeah. Um, you know, and I don't, I don't know, I don't want to make too much of a deal out of the connection there, but again, you know, you get the creator, or, you know, sort of making that explicit reference. So you have to, you have to sort of acknowledge it and, and show that these, uh, these sorts of things did occur. Yeah. And that kind of um, cross pollinating influence of one to the other, you know? Yeah. So very cool. But uh, so ignoring now how she's like Buffy, let's talk about Jenny as Jenny. Well, well, um, first should we, Oh, should, sorry. We need to acknowledge of oh, all right. the bizarre, of all the bizarre crossovers, this is perhaps the most bizarre. Um, and not bizarre because this happens. People meet on set and they get together. That happens all the time. But it's just weird that it's the same week. <laughs> so, yeah, that we're talking about the same episode so, and in a totally... Totally unrelated. Yeah, this is completely... Unre- unexpected Could not way. have planned it this way. Um, it just so happens that just like Alexis Denisoff and Allison Hannigan, uh, Georgia Moffat, who plays Jenny, eventually, you know, met... Well, met David Tennant on set started dating at some point and eventually got married. So there you go. You know, I don't know why that should be the same week, but it is. Um, and I want to point out Georgia Moffat in particular, cause she has a weird relationship with this show. So, um, so she is the real life daughter of Peter Davison, who was the fifth doctor who we saw in the time crash mini episode. So she actually is the doctor's daughter um, she actually originally... <laughs> and the doctor's wife. Well, and the doctor's <laughs> wife. So, yeah. Um, so she actually originally auditioned for Rose way back when. Um, and, oh, really? and didn't get the part, but, but they remembered, you know, that they liked her audition and um, brought her back to audition for a role in actually next week's episode. Um, there's like a smaller supporting part that they... And then... But they liked her enough that they thought, you know what, we th- we actually would like to give her a bigger part in a different... Like, they kind of thought, ooh, she'd make a good Jenny. So they kind of... Mm-hmm. She auditioned for one role and got a better one, basically. Um, so, yeah. So, kind of an interesting ongoing relationship with the show. And, yes, she is the Doctor's daughter and the Doctor's wife, which makes the Doctor his own father-in-law, which is kind of fun. And yeah, the 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 tenant Davison Moffat thing, they've joked about this dynasty which they've created, that they're going to go on and produce generations of future doctors and companions and like nice. keep the line going. So it's it's a strange it kind of is it it's it seems appropriate that Doctor Who would have a kind of wibbly wobbly relationship like that. Um mm-hmm. so there you go. Um, I think uh, I think it's on like, um, oh, what's that episode or that website? Um, TV Tropes names Tennant as like the ultimate ascended fanboy who not only went on to play his favorite role but to, you know, marry the daughter of one of the doctors and like yeah, right. You can't right. get you can't get any more fanboyish than Th- that. This is reminding me more of like. Robert Heinlein's Lazarus Long and and all the various relationships that go there. But anyway, yeah. I I know you're not as much into Heinlein, so for anyone who is, it 
it seems a little more like yeah. <laughs> one of those types of re- you're right, like things you, that's you're going on. Your own grandfather, um, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, yeah. So right. anyway, just um, some fun kind of. Although it does kind of, in retrospect, make the episode a little strange with the fact that you know that they're married and they're playing father and daughter, but it, they can get away with it. It's fine. Well, and, and of course, this was before they yeah, were married yeah, or anything. Exactly, or um, even and presumably other, before so. they were probably dating or at least yeah, not dating very long at this point. It doesn't so. seem to be. It doesn't seem like they had any relationship, you know, prior to this. So um, it's only in retrospect that it kind of adds a new layer of significance, but um, yep. interesting nonetheless. But let's talk about Jenny, the character now, rather than Georgia Moffat, who is sure. not related to Stephen Moffat, by the way. Right, difference, and that's, <laughs> yeah, I had to look that up because I, I didn't pick up on the different spellings of the last name there. So um, good to point out there for anyone who hasn't seen those uh, those names spelled out. Yeah. Um, so, yes, Jenny. So I was not expecting when I, because uh, obviously, so the Doctor Who episodes um, tend to be a little more revealing than the Buffy episode names. <laughs> so yeah. the Doctor's Daughter you expect that you're going to meet someone who is the doctor's daughter yes. in the episode. Um, and she's but, not exactly. But it's it's interesting how, you know, even knowing the sort of the premise of the episode, yeah, it had completely different. I was expecting, so obviously we talked, we've talked before about how the doctor's first companion or one of the first companions in the classic yeah. series uh, was his granddaughter. Yeah. So obviously, our, and in order to have had a granddaughter, you would have had to had some other progeny before yes. that. So, um, you know, obviously we, we, we already knew that. And, and we've talked about the references, um, of, of the doctor being a father. Mm-hmm. So my expectation was that we were going to run into, yeah. uh, someone who, was legit, you know, the doctor's sibling, or sibling. The, oh, man, now I'm getting all confused with these relationships. No, not the sibling. The, you know, the doctor's uh, daughter, you know, from a more traditional relationship, I guess. Yeah, seems would, reasonable. Would be how it seems like a reasonable how, how expectation. Um, so I was not expecting that, you know, within like one minute, he was going to get pulled aside, have some DNA ripped out of him, and, you know, create... Um, you know this not clone he calls it progenation um right, which is right. uh yeah he, he gives sort of this sci- science babble um explanation of it but it's not exactly cloning because obviously it's well i mean she's different gender so that's one clue um <laughs> and 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 also you know, you get well. There's these um, hints about the differences, yeah. But also the similarities. You know, again, we're back to the "how are we different?" question. Yeah. Um, you, you know, and and so you get right away immediately. She steps out, and someone tosses her this big ass gun, <laughs> and she's got a smile on her face, and is yeah. like, "Yeah, let's go." You know, and knows all this. Uh, stuff about being a soldier, which is, 
as we've talked about, you know, the doctor doesn't like guns. No. <laughs> as we were reminded, uh, ad infinitum or ad nauseum perhaps uh yeah. in in yeah. the last episode yeah no uh, in particular after the last episode which is of all the episodes the one in which he spends the most time talking about how he doesn't like guns mm-hmm. then the first thing that happens this episode is he gets this you know progenated daughter and she knows all about guns and has born with this sort of you know military tactic in her head and everything yeah yeah um so yeah i mean and of course so throughout the episode i mean we learned a number of things one um you know she is perfectly willing to stand up to the doctor Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, like pretty much almost immediately (laughs) um you know and and you don't get the sense that that's just sort of the military brusqueness that she's born with but that that's an aspect of him, you know, standing, you know, he's obviously very willing to stand up to most other creatures and things or people or whatever. So you do sort of get that, um, you know, sense that, that there's a similarity in that, um, physiologically seems to be similar. I mean, besides the gender differences, um, but she, at least, you know, she has the two hearts, uh, and, I'm not clear exactly what happens at the end there, mm-hmm. but we get something akin to like a mini regeneration or something like, you know, so this <sighs> is my, this is my theory. Um, interesting to note that it was actually Stephen Moffat's idea to keep her alive at the end, that he was being told the brief for the episode and was told that she was going to die at the end. And he said, no, you should keep her alive. Just let her just let her come back to life and fly off. And so, you know, make of that what you will. Um, but my kind of theory on the end is that it's not a regeneration in the sense that, that the doctor regenerates. Because um, we don't... She doesn't change physically. You know, she doesn't... Mm-hmm. You know, she does die and come back to life, but she doesn't you know, physically regenerate into a new body, which seems to be what one of the rules of regeneration is. The other thing is that, um, the, you know, we get that kind of, she breathes that breath out, that kind of mist, but it doesn't Mm -hmm. look like what the doctor, you know, when the doctor regenerated and that kind of gold sparkly regeneration light came out, it actually looks like the vapor out of the source, you know? Yes. And, and that's what I was thinking Yeah, because so, I, 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 and I wasn't sure because I, the, the same sort of points you just brought up sort of crossed my mind, but I, you know, I've only seen one regeneration before, so right. I, I wasn't entirely sure, but I, you know, I was fairly confident. That, well, actually that's not true. I've seen two regenerations, I guess, with the master um, right. being the second one. Right. <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah. So, but, that would be my reading, that the, those things together, the fact that, like, the breath kind of looks like the source, which is flying around, terraforming, and bringing life and everything. Yeah, it seems well, like the source, in its, in its doing its bringing to life thing, r- resuscitates her, brings her back to life. So it, whether she could regenerate again, maybe is a, is a open question, you know, and... 
because she mm-hmm. doesn't get a new body. She has the same one. So right. I think that's kind of it, it's a it's a pseudo regeneration, but it's not. It doesn't seem to follow the same rules that a regeneration does. Well, and 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 the the mention of the source and all that it actually made me think of um, Star Trek. The at the end of the second movie, Wrath of Khan, um, <laughs> Spock dies. Yeah, and then at the they shoot him off to this world that's being created anew and whatever. And it's that life force that re- regenerates that brings him back to life um, okay. in, in the third movie search for Spock. So it, it had a very similar sort of, I don't know if there's, if, if that's what they were going for, but that's what made me think of it was that, yeah, you have this force that's revitalizing the planet mm-hmm. and everything on it. And so that includes this newly dead person who apparently, you know, I mean, they haven't, she hasn't deteriorated or anything. And so, you know, just by virtue of this sort of life force that's around her is able to, you know, come back. So I suppose that makes sense. She doesn't change appearance and it doesn't happen right away. There's this delay and everything. So that's, that's my reading of it. I think that makes the most sense. Um, yeah, no, definitely, definitely can see that as a possible explanation. Um, I, you know, it's nice to see that she doesn't die at the end. Although now, now the obvious question is, when will we see her again? And, and I don't know, maybe we won't. Um, it'll be interesting if we do. So, uh, anyway, just, just, uh, yeah, cool. <laughs> Anyway, I'll, I'll, um, uh, well, I, I'll leave that open. So. Yeah. Okay. That's fine. Um, I wasn't, yeah, I wasn't looking for you to necessarily say if we do or not. Well, and just, um, and also just because, you know, we, we might see her again, but, uh, also don't forget that Dr. Who is ongoing. So, you know, maybe they right, find if, her if again, we don't see her you know, maybe this season, exactly. it might be. You know, so, uh, you know, I think definitely you're meant to have that idea at the end of this is an, this is a, an open-ended story point, you know, which, which could be revisited sort of at any time. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, kind of an interesting way to end it. Um, so we, we see her go through the sort of the choices which actually the more i think about it yeah there are more parallels here to buffy right it's it's the not jumping in and you know fighting but the stopping waiting thinking and 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 she she does stop wait think and prevents herself from killing Cobb, and she's really excited about it yes (laughs) when it happened like like i didn't kill him i didn't kill him (laughs) yeah it's oh good it's like like she just got an a on her homework or something yeah yeah. daddy look what i did (laughs) yeah um yeah so so yeah no you do get that that again that sort of the tension between the you know what should i do you know should i just be jumping in here and, and fighting and whatever and and i like um it's interesting to me because we we get the uh when she when she first sort of comes out and and she oh what is it she says about um you know i'm i'm 
oh, it's when Donna says that she's not real. And she's like, mm-hmm. what do you mean I'm not real? I have independent thought and, you know, this and that and the other thing. And, and um, the general there's like, oh, you know, we need more like you, you know, General Cobb. You know, we, we need more people like you. And then, and then like a minute later, he's yeah. like, oh, we can't trust you because you're from pacifist stock. Yeah. It's like, well, wait, like literally nothing has changed about her in the last you know, 60 seconds, yeah. but you know, you swing from these, you know, extreme, you know, uh, yeah. one extreme to the other is everyone should be like you too. No one should be like, you <laughs> You right. know, it's like, well, yeah. come on. I mean, well, maybe we shouldn't start co- talking about Cobb. I, I, Cobb's always struck me as one of the more one dimensional, you know, sure. uh, characters that we meet in Dr. Who you know, I've never really found him that interesting or even that good of a of a mouthpiece of whatever the sort of anti pacifist. Like you know, it's it's just sort of yeah. sort of a cliche. But actually the thing that occurred to me this time is um his line about you know, he and he and Jenny have lines about being children of the machine and that all she knows is how to fight and how to die and and you get this this idea of um you know that she's capable of more nuanced thought but it takes the doctor to show her because all she knows is literally this information that she was born with and so if Cobb's that way too then it kind of makes sense that he's one-dimensional that like you know he has you know, they've been fighting this war for seven days. He's been alive for, I'm not sure exactly how long. And all he knows is how to fight and how to die. And so it kind of, that kind of, to me, softened the issue of his sort of shallowness. Because he's mm. literally, I mean, like you said, they're not exactly clones. But they are products of this artificial, you know, progenation machine with implanted military strategy in his head which is the only thing he is born with so um you know it doesn't make him terribly interesting but it kind of makes sense that he would be sort of have a very rigidly black and white and you know you know and the others seem willing at least to consider other you know they all kind of put down their arms in the end and jenny certainly embraces other viewpoints but um but i think that kind of helps explain some of the sort of black and whiteness of the episode although it doesn't i think that's probably the toughest part of this episode for me is kind of how just rigid the viewpoints are and and they're not very nuanced or you know yeah yeah no i I can see that um but that's where Jenny comes in, mm-hmm. right? Because she's she's the gray area, yeah. <laughs> um, so to speak, which the doctor tends to be at times as well, mm-hmm. right? Um, we've we've even gotten from the doctor like the, you know, Donna saying, "I'm not I'm not sure what's right and what's wrong anymore," and he's kind of yeah. dismisses that, the saying, "It's it's better not to really know anyway. Just do yeah. what you think is right in the moment," kind of thing. Yeah. Um, you know, based on circumstances. And that's, that's sort of where we see, you know, I think, you know, what Jenny is and, and, um, 
of course, you know, the biggest impact that she seems to have is on the doctor himself. Yeah. Uh, who goes from rejecting this anomaly, <laughs> uh, you know, that is Jenny. Um, and I, I love, yeah, I mean, you have to love Donna pointing out you're the most anomalous I person I know. Yes, like, yeah. <laughs> you know, what What are you talking about? Like, if she's an anomaly. And, and, and I love that she loves, you know, when Jenny's giving it right back to yeah. him. She's like, oh, no, I'm I'm right with her. You keep giving it to yeah, him. Yeah, this is fantastic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Seeing you um, speak to this is making my day, so keep going. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, because uh, it's, it's strange for the doctor not to have that sort of automatic compassion. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially like you would you would almost think like, well, if it's something, you know, or someone actually, you know, in this case, that's coming directly from him. Yeah. You know, why would he not embrace it? Right. Um, and and we do sort of get that explanation of it's it's because of the family. It's not that he doesn't have the compassion, but it's that it's a reminder of everything he lost. Yeah. Um, that she is a reminder of everything he lost. Yeah. Whenever he looks at Jenny, yeah. he's reminded of his children, his spouse, I guess, his, um, you know, other, I mean, we, we know that he had at least grandchildren. Mm-hmm. So, you know, 900 years, we don't know how far down the line that goes. Right. Um, and there's also the hint there too, that, you know, about what being a Time Lord is, is about exactly that. It's the shared memories, the shared experiences, the shared uh, losses, you know, that he talks about mm-hmm. being being what makes. And, and, I mean, that's not just true of Time Lords. That's true of any culture, right? You know, it's yeah. not, that's why when things, you know, you know, good or bad happen in a, in a given society, you know, it, it, it sort of pulls people together. You know, you think about events like nine 11, you know, it's not that we were all in New York at the time and, you know, or that we all even necessarily knew someone who was in the towers, but it was, you know, something that sort of happened to us all. We have that shared memory of, of, of what happened. So, um, you know, I think, I think that's interesting because especially when you're dealing with people who have sort of these implanted memories that come out with this, like what's, what are they sharing? Yeah. You know, you sort of, sort of put that in contrast to, and, and maybe that's, you know, even sort of part of the anomaly. It's not even that, you know, you shouldn't just sort of pop out of a machine full grown, but you have all of these, they are in a way shared memories, but they're artificial too. Well, right. I mean, it's exactly what they're not remember the whole point is that they don't remember mm-hmm. their own history that they've they have this short history that they believe to span generations and eons you know which they can't remember what happened 2 days ago because they keep mm-hmm. killing each other off so the whole point is that they lack memory yeah. and lack a history and it seems like Jenny having the exposure to a shared 
history via the doctor is kind of what mm-hmm. allows her to transcend that a bit, you know, that right. cause she can plug into an actual history rather than this sort of, you know, facade version of a history, which is right. completely empty, you know? Right. Yeah. Right. And, and, and has someone who has a history beyond just what's given to her by the machines yeah. to show her, that you actually, there are other options. Um, and in sort of thinking about that, that whole idea of memory and history and all of that, you have to think back to the Ood. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that they were enslaved by having their memory and, and, um, you know, ability to process the memories and emotions removed. Yeah. And that, like this is a different situation, clearly, because um, you know they're not being lobotomized in any kind of way, or or you know having their brain chemistry changed, but but they're being implanted with these sorts of false memories and 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 you know uh, having having the memories that should be there not implanted and. And it's especially disconcerting when we learn that it's only been like seven right. days, right. you know, but there's been countless, uh, literally, they don't know General Cobb, who appears to be an old guy, you know, like, the that's the bizarre part to me, like, how is he sort of older than everyone else and, you know. You know, they they talked about that in one of the commentaries that, like, I mean, I, I think it's kind of a slight plot hole, but you could imagine that like not all of the, you know, that, that some of the clones come out more like a clone of somebody that it could come out aged. Cause like Jenny doesn't come out as a baby, you know, she comes out as an adult woman. So, you know, maybe, maybe some of them don't always come out, you know, young, maybe they, yeah, maybe they, maybe they come out at different and, points yeah, so like, in, in the life cycle. You imagine that, you know, like even if Cobb is recent, he could still be like maybe he was I, born the, I, the age that he is now or something. I I would tend to think that a machine that's calibrated to, you know, sort of generate the perfect soldiers or whatever would do that. Wouldn't spit out it in in, in in a way that you know they were yeah. physically at their peak. You know, but that's it, just it, me. it is it is it is a plot hole. I think. Or at least um, potentially. Anyway, could that, be. that that's sort of an aside thing. Anyway, yeah. but I I think um, you know again just sort of talking you know talking about the fact that that you have these memory issues and and thinking about the ood and stuff and how they were trapped. I mean, in a way, I mean, this is not one race trapping another race or anything, but it's it's both sides sort of enslaving themselves with yeah. again these sorts of false memories and and false ideas about what they're supposed to be doing. And that might be part of the reason why you get the sort of the one dimensional black and white, uh, you know, thing that you describe. So, um, yeah, yeah, very interesting. This idea of, it would be kind of a lot to expect a whole lot of nuance from this cast of characters, you know, because they're, a day old or whatever and don't know anything beyond yeah, that. Yeah, or less, you know? right. So, um... Right, and not only do they not know anything beyond that, but then they've been given all of these yeah. 
instructions and memories that that are not uh, they're not they're sort of cut from whole cloth so to speak you yeah. know they're not there there's no nuance to the to the things that they're given mm-hmm. so why should we expect them to be nuanced yeah. um no i think that makes sense um i do think that makes sense oh well anyway we went all over the place what else yeah we, we kind of did i <laughs> i think i guess just to sort of wrap up with the doctor i mean um we have to talk about sort of the scene at the end there, yeah. you know, where he, he does pick up a gun. Yeah. So, okay. So even, I guess even before that, I mean, he gets, you know, okay, we find the source. He figures out what it does. He convinces all except Cobb to lay down their weapons mm-hmm. and, you know, um, uh, Cobb shoots, Jenny jumps in front of him. It hits her. There's the whole scene there. And then, so he picks up the gun, and we get the whole, you know, I never would. Yeah. You know, have you got that? I never would. When when you start this new world, remember that. Make it the foundation of, of a man who never would. And and so I guess the question there is, what's the never would? The the I, I guess the the shooting, the the killing, the the i mean he picks up a gun so right right is it the violence like, or is it the act of revenge maybe yeah like there's there's well and i think it's ambiguous yeah. i mean i i think intentionally ambiguous i think we're not necessarily meant to know precisely what he's talking about although you know although we could possibly get close um but yeah like i think i don't know i kind of like that like it's it's you're giving them now the memory that yeah hopefully they'll they'll have to build out right because you know even even now even up to this point they still don't have any memories except what they were born with that day or the day before you know in the machines so you know so what do you have to do well here's the start here's the new generation Mm -hmm. right this is this is where we're starting we're starting at a place where you don't, you know, you don't have to fight. You know, it's it's the the lesson that he taught Jenny, um, that you do have a choice. That that actually, and and I guess in a way he's saying, the choice is that you don't give yourself a choice. Mm-hmm. That you never mm-hmm. would, you know. Well, and, and fight in this way, or 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 like you said, it could be or retaliate or take revenge or whatever you know. The well, and that 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 this is this should be the bedrock for society. That don't put your trust in people like Cobb. You know that make the foundation people who you know don't take that way out. Who find who do you know take the other choice? I guess. Right. Right. Well, and it, and it goes back to that. You know what? You know, I thought if you you could just stop fighting by you know not fighting, yes. <laughs> like you could you could you could just not attack the other people, and they're like, no, that's not an option. Yeah. You know, uh, and and this is him showing them that actually, yeah, it is an option. Yeah. I could shoot you right here, right now. I could be so angry that you just shot my daughter and killed her. You know that I'm going to take it out on you, but I wouldn't. 
And so, you know, this is, this is the foundation that you need to have, mm. not, not the continuous, you know, cycle of bloodshed, but, yeah. but the one where you stop, wait and think about what you're doing and wonder if, you know, this is really such a good idea. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, so and I, like I mean, that. adding to the ambiguity of it is you kind of think for a moment, like he might do it. Like there's I totally, that, I mean, there's that, there's that second or two where you go, Ooh, he might actually do it. Yeah. I mean, I, I would say I was like 80, 20. Okay. Like I was 80% sure he wouldn't, uh-huh. but there was like maybe 20% of me that wondered like, I don't, I mean, maybe, yeah. maybe he would. Even the second time I watched it, I was still kind of like, I don't know, maybe he's going to, I mean, I know he's not going to, but I, like, maybe he's going to, yeah. no. Uh, you know, I think, uh, yeah, I think that's a, that's an interesting thing. So, um, Well, and, and we're getting the constant, as much as he says he never would, and, and it's not that you don't believe him, but you're getting the constant reminder in this episode that, you know, he does have he has he has i mean he can't <laughs> kind of say he never he has already done it he could do it again so yeah the, i mean well and the, in fairness we don't know exactly the did. circumstances yes. around around what no, happened no but we do know i mean jenny that's whole that whole conversation that they have when he talks about the time war you know and about uh you and know, he acknowledges that he, he was a soldier. And he acknowledges, like, and you fought and killed. And he says, yeah. You know, so, like, we don't know the circumstances, but we know that he is capable of it. Um, and which kind of makes his refusal to do it a little bit more weighty. Because, you know, he's speaking from experience. That this is a choice yeah. he has to actively make. Because he has the capacity to, you know, be a soldier, I guess. Um, and so, yeah, I think that kind of, because you have Jenny kind of saying, oh, you know, you're clearly a soldier, you know, you have all this military strategy, I'm gonna learn so much from you, you know, so at the end, when he picks up the gun, it does kind of feel a little bit more dangerous, because you know he could be capable of it, and you know again you know we're the the losses are piling up let's say that you know that i think mm-hmm. more and more as these seasons go on um you know he's lost rose you know martha left him she came back but she's leaving him again you know jack left him the master died that was his sort of one chance to have family here's a second chance to have family. She just got shot dead. So I think that adds to, I mean, I think there's some similarities between the death of the master and the death of Jenny. You know, they both get shot with Mm. guns. They both sort of die in his arms. You know, there's like a resemblance between the two, but you know, mostly I think after the master dies, you just get the sense of, you know, his sorrow that that was just a terrible disappointment but this time that kind of anger is something different you know that he doesn't really take he doesn't seem to get angry at lucy for shooting the master you know whereas here it's definitely directed at Cobb. like 
you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so for him to kind of threaten to retaliate, I think, carries a little bit more weight. And, you know, you just are getting that sense of, you know, the losses are sort of cumulative over the last couple seasons. So, hmm. um, which I think kind of makes that moment with the gun, you know, pretty heavy because it's, it's you know, yet another sort of potential companion squandered, I guess. Um, yeah. And for, well, and for and stupid, stupid reasons, you know. Yeah. I guess the only other... Th- you know, thing I would point out along the same lines is is when we have that conversation where he's talking with Jenny, um, when she says we don't have a choice. Right, right before that, uh, he says to her, "The killing after a while it infects mm-hmm. you, and once it does, you're never rid of it." And this is these are words of someone who seems to know. Yeah. You know, like yeah. this is like the alcoholic who's been clean for 20 years and says he's still an alcoholic. You know what I mean? Like it's the same sort of idea. And, and I think that that's why when he picks up the gun, you wonder, is this the, I never got rid of it moment, you know, like, is this sinking back into having another drink and falling down that pit again? So, and, and the bit of the bit of it that he would even he would even be justified for doing it. You know, like, there's, like... Right, you can't, like, wholly can't blame him, him at that it, point. You know? So, <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, so I, I... Yeah, so, again, like I said, I think I was about 80-20 <laughs> on that one. I think I, I was mostly sure he wasn't, but there was a part of me that was saying, you know... Yeah, the doctor shooting someone in the head would be a little harsh, but I think the credit to the the direction and the acting is that for a second there... You do wonder, you know, so it it kind of makes you pause and think, I think. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Um, <sighs> well, I guess, so since we're just sort of talking about him, we can sort of finish mm-hmm. off General Cobb at the same time because I don't have a lot to say. Like you said, he's kind of a flat character. Um, I have an army and the breath of God on my side, Doctor. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. okay. We we get the point where you're coming yeah. from. Um, uh, I don't know anything anything to say that we haven't said about Cobb already. Any anything beyond that? I don't really have anything. No, okay. he doesn't interest right. me that much, to be honest with you. Um, then I guess let's move on to the companions. Okay. Uh, and we'll start with Donna. Okay. Um, who? Uh, more quickly than the doctor moves into compassion for Jenny, Mm -hmm. but, but has her moments. I mean, she gets really angry when Jenny calls Martha collateral damage. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, we, we, we talked briefly about when she says, uh, Jenny's not a real person Mm -hmm. and Jenny sort of gets in her face about that. Um, but then sort of right away after that is realizing that yeah, Jenny actually is a legit person. Not only that, but actually, you know, she's the one who asks for the stethoscope, and the doctor's reluctant to give it to her because you, you know he he's got to know he... what's coming. <laughs> yeah. Like, what do you do with the stethoscope? Well, you're going to listen to hearts. Well, yeah. how many hearts does she have? Probably two. Yeah, <laughs> you know, probably two. We know where the like you know where this yeah, is leading. Like, give me and that I... stethoscope. He's going. Oh damn it! <laughs> like, yeah, you know? yeah, um, yeah. 
Yeah, she has to and, tell uh, him, like, come here, like, you know, get off your butt and walk over here, like, like you don't know what's going to happen, so. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I like her question. Uh, it's real. She just slips it in there, and it, you know, she after she she points out that you know that Jenny has two hearts, just like the doctor. She, what what do you call a female time lord? Yeah. And you kind of you kind of get that like, hmm, has there ever been one? Yeah. Hmm, why not? <laughs> you know, what would you call a female time, time it, lady? It, it's a I don't time know. lady, I think. And Is and it? there have been in in classic who there were time ladies. Okay. Yes. Okay. Um. um we have but the doctor has never been knew who, but yeah. The doctor has never been female, right? Uh, he has so. not to date been female. We're we're holding out for a female doctor someday, um, but yeah. has not happened yet. Well, and and I, there's all sorts of questions we can go down that road, I suppose, but um, maybe maybe we won't today. Uh, but I do like. Uh, okay, so we get through there. So we get, you know, we get her having her, and and we've seen her in her more compassionate moments, and and sort of, that's you know, she's the one who brings the doctor around, yeah. right? You know, in in doing so, um, <clears throat> I like <laughs> when she when she uh, after Jenny does her sort of seduction on the guard, and then Donna's like. Let me take this next yeah. one. I've picked up a few womanly wiles over the years. <laughs> and the doctor's like, no. We'll no. save your wiles let's, for later. Let, let's, yeah. yeah, save those wiles. Yeah. And she kind of <laughs> gives, gives this little look like, oh, good point. Like, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah, they use a little mouse, you know, a little uh, toy mouse thing. Yeah. That's kind of funny. Um, I And, you know... I, I've been noticing, and I, I guess it's always been this way, but just recently, the amount of stuff that the doctor has, like, in his pockets. Well, like, they're that bigger just on seemed... the inside, so. Yeah, it must be. Yeah, but it no, this, this stethoscope, he has a pad of paper in this episode. He has the little toy mouse. Yeah, he keeps. Yeah, and I mean, and you figure out, like, everything else that he's ever had is probably in, in there, there somewhere. somewhere yeah. Like, you know, his, his, I mean, his psychic paper is probably in yep. there. His little 3D glasses it's that he's used before. Yep. Sonic screwdriver. You know, they're, they're always, there's always stuff that he's, like, yeah. pulling out and putting away. And, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah. Well, I like the contrast yeah. of Jenny's sort of seduction with the doctor with his mouse. Like, it's like... <laughs> But both of them are, yeah. like, trickery, you know? Neither of the Like, they're allied in that they're both kind of tricksters that way, so... Sure, but, um, sure. Um, and, but Donna's not. Donna, not. No. But no. Donna's skill is is in her, you know, her myriad temp uh, positions that she's, that she's done uh, in the past. And, and yeah. you know, she's smart in her own way yeah. and, and knew, figures who out... Who being a temp would be such a useful background yeah. for being a companion. I know, right? It's like, well, I was a temp for two weeks at the library, so... Yeah, you know, I know. Or however long it was. No, yeah. but, you, but yeah. the point taken. She's good with numbers. She's a detail person, you know, and so... Right. Well, and, and we saw it in, in you know... Um, the Suntarans, mm-hmm. you know, she picked up on on the fact that uh, there had been no sick days and no, you know, vacation days or whatever, no personal days. Yeah. You know, so again, you you know, you get the sense of, you know, she's the practical one who's who's looking at, like you said, looking at the details and and you know the the doctor and and 
and Jenny or whatever, they're kind of, you know, looking around, seeing what to do next and whatever. And Donna's like, why are these numbers on the wall? Yeah. They have to mean, like, they have to mean something. And, and it's not even like, you know, she notices, like, she sees the pattern and she points it out repeated, re- repeatedly. Yeah. And others are just, like, not even concerned or have some weird, you know, like the, the um, you know, General Cobb is like, oh, our ancestors, you yeah, know, yeah. Had, who can read the writings of our ancestors? Yeah. And Donna's like, actually, this is pretty regular. Like, you should be able to figure this yeah. out. It, it has to mean something. This isn't like a Richard Dreyfus and mashed potatoes moment where, you <laughs> know, you don't you, yeah. you don't know the importance. Yeah. You just know that it's important. Yeah. But but like this is actual, you know, numbers you can figure out. It's a regular system. They're counting down what's going on. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, uh, so yeah, so, so good for her, you know, once again, sort of putting together those things. Um, but I guess sort of the, the, the big moment is at the end Mm -hmm. when everything's all said and done and they're taking Martha home and she, you know, she's sort of wondering why Martha wants to go home yeah. and, and saying, you know, how could I ever go back to a normal life after seeing all this? I'm going to travel with that man forever. And I just thought, ah, <laughs> never say never you ever, say you know, it. that yep. y- y- you just have this. So I, you know, I don't, I still don't know anything about when I know that I strongly suspect that we're going to see another regeneration soon. Like, I think I've stated that before. Like, I know it's coming up. That, I'm sorry. It's, that we're... You broke up for a second. That we're going to be seeing another regeneration mm. soon. <clears throat> I, I mean, I can say soon without putting a... A timestamp on that, on right. It. Okay. Yeah. But, I mean, we've gotten the hint of things not lasting forever already this season. Yes. <clears throat> And and so now we're 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 getting at the end of you know again at the end of an episode a companion saying I'm going to do this forever mm-hmm. which is what Rose had said you know shortly before things went south yeah <laughs> um, you know so yeah yeah uh, just very yeah it's just sort of a cringeworthy moment because you you just you just know that you can't say things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, everything has an end and, and things are always changing. So, which again, one of the oldest, you know, themes in this show that we had way back in the first couple episodes is that everything has its time. Everything ends, you know, uh, which seems inevitable, you know, like that's really what you want to say to Donna is, you know, whether that means, now or later, soon or a long time from now, can you do anything forever? You know, what does that mean exactly? Mm-hmm. You know, so that's kind of the the thought, I think, is, you know, that doesn't say exactly, obviously I'm not going to say anything concrete about, you know, what that might mean, but that never say, never ever, I think never say forever either, you know, that in this world anyway forever it seems to be a an impossibility especially in this story which is so much about change i think mhm yeah yeah um 
So, you know, sort of cringe there. And it also made me wonder, you know, thinking back to Rose and the Never Say Never Ever and all of that, also made me think of, all right, we got that one little hint of Rose in the first episode this series, mm-hmm. but haven't seen anything more on that. So I don't know. Was that just a tease or... I, you don't have to answer, obviously, but I just that's that reminded me that that right. had occurred and right. and just sort of uh, yeah, I'm curious about that. So anyway, so um, I, any, anything else on on Donna? One other thing on Donna. Um, I did you like her little summary of of the Doctor's life with he saves planets, rescues civilizations, defeats terrible creatures, and runs a lot. Seriously, there's an outrageous amount of running involved. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that an was quoted line, you know. Yeah, that was the 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 first thing he said to Rose. Right, was run, run, and basically. It's, it's what Jenny signs off with is an awful lot of running yep. to do. Yep. So yeah. again, this running being a sort of a motif, I think, in the show. Sure, sure. No, that was that was good, and and. Yeah. Jenny likes the running. Yeah, yeah, love the Run- running. Yeah. Love the running. <laughs> um So, I guess and then just sort of to close out on Martha mm-hmm. too as the other companion. So, we get at the beginning, you know, the oh, I love this bit. <laughs> and 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 Donna saying, I think he wanted to go home. Yeah. <laughs> um and and she does, but she still likes it. Like it, you know, it, it I like that there's the I, I don't I would almost say that she's conflicted, but I don't know that she's that conflicted. You know, but it's more about the while well, I'm here, I might as well enjoy yeah. it. You right. know what I mean? Like I can't something brought us here, I can't do anything about it at the moment. Yeah. She's still gonna leave when she has the opportunity, which she does and, and that's fine. But um you know, there's no reason to be like sour about the fact that right. you're not home, you know, no, she it's, can't, it's, she's not going to deny the fact that she does enjoy it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, right. And, and allows herself to do it, you know, even though she might rather be somewhere else. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, um, she gets split off from the doctor and Donna for most of the episode. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think it's it's an interesting, you know, sort of testament too to how much she's grown. And I mean, not that we haven't, we have seen her clearly. We know that you know the year that never was, she was off on her own for most of that. So I mean, it's not like we would expect at this point that she should need the doctor right. or would even need to. But I, I I love that moment of the, you know, <laughs> I'm Doctor Martha Jones. Who the <laughs> hell are you? <laughs> you know, like just this this very doctorish yeah. attitude you know like she she has graduated she has her phd now yeah, she she's had her own little you know, doctorish adventure of on her own and actually yeah she i would go so far as to say that getting cut off is sort of martha's thing as the companion like that seems to be one of her defining traits as a companion is mm. the one who gets cut off on her own and has to make because like you think you know it seems like a lot of her episodes had to deal with her being separated, even more so than with Rose or with Donna. It seemed to be like gridlock, mm-hmm. you know, she's cut off on her own and, you mm-hmm. know, has to get herself out. Human nature, 
the doctor's not really around too much. She's on her own and has to figure it out. And then clearly, you know, with the year that never was, you know, a whole year, you know, saving the world by herself. And even last week in, even though she comes back with the Suntarans, it's more the Doctor and Donna are together and Martha's cloned. So she's not really awake, but she's sort of, again, separated out. So it seems yeah. like... That's the, the well, Martha and, and we thing see... is to be, and you kind of feel bad for her because all she does is get cut off and then just goes through hell the whole episode, and that's like, <laughs> you know, you can kind of understand why she's re- she enjoys it, but she's ready for home, I think. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and yeah, like I mean, you brought up last week, you know, comparing her being on her own to Donna being on her own, um, and we talked about that. Like the Doctor has to like step by step, yeah. you know, with Donna, uh, explain what needs to be done, what needs to be, and Martha, not at all. No. Like she, she's there able to figure. So, you know, again, sort of pointing out different strengths between the companions yeah. that, you know, but, but Martha doesn't notice anything about the, the administrative and, right. details right. Yeah. and the numbers and stuff. But, but she's, you know, she's got more of a, uh, uh, strategic, I guess, sort of viewpoint <laughs> than yeah. than you know compared with Donna's more tactical and and in the in the details yeah um, viewpoint. So um, yeah, and I guess I guess the other thing to say about her would be sort of her exchange, her side of the little exchange with her and Donna at the end of being, you know, Donna's in the position of current companion who thinks this is fantastic Mm. and it's going to go on I'm going to do this forever you know never quitting this job and Martha as the outgoing companion saying the former yeah you might feel differently someday you know that she's passed the torch a little bit you know that and she kind of gives her she doesn't exactly argue with her she doesn't say oh you know wait till you're where I am you're gonna you know whatever yeah, how, naive. how naive but she gives a little <laughs> yeah. smile like all right you know she gives her kind of an indulgent I'm not gonna say anything she, she but, knows where you know. it's going yeah so but it's sort of the Sarah Jane exactly you know conversation yeah, yeah. yep um, yep or part of the conversation it is yeah so yeah so I think her perspective is someone who has sort of even though she still cares about the doctor, still enjoys traveling in the TARDIS, is perfectly capable, seems to have moved on and to not need that anymore. You know, that she doesn't want it to go on forever. It seems like something that she was an important part of her life, but she's moved on from it now um, and seems to be settled where she is and is ready to sort of lead a life of her own, I guess. Right, right. That seems to be the case. So I don't know. Predictions? Are we going to see Martha with, again or not? With, Do you know? With her Tom. With her Tom. Uh, uh, I, I mean, if I were to predict, I would say no, or at least not, not anytime soon. Like, I mean, it, it's hard to say no, because, I mean, we've seen people come back. Well, or, or even from like you know classic who or whatever appear. Yeah. So, you, you know, I mean, like you were saying about well, Jenny, and it is it, ongoing. It, so there, there is yeah, it, it, yeah, it's an ongoing show. 
we may or may not see her again. And even if we don't see her again, you know, to the point where the show is now, there's the new season coming up. So, you know, who knows what could happen in that one. So, yeah, yeah, definitely a possibility. I mean, I I don't have a prediction. I guess I would say... Just that, that it's a possibility. Never say never. And, uh, you know, we'll we'll move on. And I guess we'll talk about next week when we get there. So, <laughs> right. um, or, or, or whatever. So, yeah. Fair enough. Any final thoughts? I guess, I guess, you know, we didn't really mention the half much. Mm-hmm. Um, Martha Brufen's one, he dies. That sucks. Yeah. Um, but, you know, fish creature, half fish, half human is what Martha says they are. So I guess that's what we're meant to take them as. That's, that's fine. That's about all we know. Yeah. Um, I'm okay with that I explanation, I guess, at this point. I don't have too much more to say about them, to be honest um, with you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure why sinking into that mud pit breaks the hats. Yeah. Breathing I apparatus. Mean, I, it has been noted the irony of a fish creature that drowns. Um, I mean, it, it seems to me to be quicksand rather than water, so I don't mind that too much. And I guess if it's maybe if it's very pressurized, it breaks the glass or something, and it he presumably chokes on that or something. I don't know. You know. Okay. It, it it's enough to sort of. It's sad. He dies. Yes. Martha cries. She. It's just another, but, another, another instance of poor Martha suffering and ready to go home. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yep. So that's all. Okay. Cool. Well, any any hints or thoughts about next week, or you just just want to leave it alone? Hints or thoughts? Say goodnight. Um. No, not really. Um. A fun episode next week. Okay. A well, bit, we'll leave a it at bit that later, then. So we'll, we should enjoy ourselves, I think. All right. Well, let's do that then. Un- until then. See you then. Mm-hmm.